All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys out here today. You all look well rested with that extra hour of sleep. How many of you guys enjoyed that? All right. I want to see that same enthusiasm when I get back up here again in a little bit. All right. <laughs> but no, it's good to have you guys with us today. First of all, I want to uh, go ahead and recognize uh, this coming week is uh, Veterans Day. And uh, if you're a veteran, any, any branch whatsoever, I'd love for you to stand up and be recognized this morning. Hey, let's give them a right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. We never know. Veterans walk among us, those who have uh, sacrificed or have been willing to sacrifice. And uh, so thank you, guys. We, we do appreciate you. We, we uh, certainly are still the freest and best nation in the world because we have people who are willing uh, to step up and take care of what needs to be taken care of. But thank you, guys. We, we appreciate you and we honor you and uh, pray for uh, your families. And uh, we'll remember you, of course, later on in the week as well. Uh, a couple quick things, all right? Uh, first off, today, after service, there's going to be a ladies' meeting after the service right in this area. Is that right, Lou Ellen? Okay, so right in here, there's going to be a whole, a whole gaggle of ladies up here for a meeting, all right? <laughs> oh, and I'm going to be heading out that side door. <laughs> but they're going to come, they're going to meet, and I don't know uh, what's going to happen. So um, y'all come, it's an exciting time. Uh, but the, just uh, a short few minutes, I think they got a quick meeting to take care of a few things uh, for some upcoming events. Um, a couple other things. I'm going to skip over one. I'm going to come back to it, all right? Uh, Thursday, November the 11th, seniors are having their Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, join them for a time of devotions, fellowship, and great food. Or, well, it says good food. Hopefully there's great food, but there's at least going to be good food. <laughs> but, um, if you would like, please bring a favorite side dish or dessert, and I'm guessing everything else is going to be taken care of. And, uh, but you come, and that'll be a good time. Then Tuesday, November the 23rd at 6.30, that'll be our, our normal time for service and everything, but it's going to be a Thanksgiving service, so... That night, we won't really necessarily have Bible study, if you will, but come prepared to share, if you're willing, um, just what the Lord's done for you, some things you're thankful for, and we're going to take some time that night just to thank the Lord, and I think we should certainly be able to do that at Thanksgiving, but really all year, uh, it is Christians who should be the most thankful of people in all the world, and so mark that down. Then don't forget as well, we got it still running here in the bulletin, our Christmas on the bayou. we got a few boxes left in the back for you to fill up if you want to. We've already got a few here. And uh, even got stuff in them. So, uh, but what these are doing is they're going to be going down instead of Operation, it's sort of like Operation Christmas Child, but our missionary that we support, A.J. James, has uh, gotten these, these boxes and it's got information out there for you. But fill them up and uh, do it with love. And uh, they're going to be going to some needy folks who have been ravaged by the hurricanes this past season uh, down in Louisiana. So uh, pray for them, pray over the boxes, put the gospel in it, decorate it, whatever you want to do, put love into this thing. And I believe the Lord will bless you for it. But um, lastly, uh, you'll see the little snippet that we're going to be running for a little bit, the Nehemiah Wall Builders Prayer Initiative. And you got it here, this little handy-dandy thing. This is for you to put on your refrigerator, your microwave, your mirror, whatever, that you're going to see it every day, okay? Um, beginning this Wednesday, November the 10th, and we're going to go through the end of the year, we're going to take 52 days of prayer. As you guys know, or if you've read your Bible and studied a little bit, Nehemiah and the building back the wall took 52 days. We want to take 52 days of, of earnest, sincere, and persistent, faithful prayer um, for our, our, our church and for direction. As we're coming and ending this year, and we're about to embark on, on a new year and an exciting time of revamping and regrowing and rebuilding um, so much and so many things, we're excited about it. It often is scary or nerve-wracking or, or brings me a little bit of anxiety about the unknown, but I want you to know that 
nothing great, nothing big for God will get done unless we, His people, pray. I firmly believe that every revival, as you study history, that has taken place, every reformation that has taken place, it has happened because men and women of God were earnest and sincere and persistent in praying to Him. I believe that there is power in prayer. So what we're doing is we've got back there on the back table, um, we've got a little spot for you of a calendar for the rest of this month and into December. We're asking people to sign up for a morning or an evening shift or as many as you need or want to, to commit to 15 minutes of prayer during that shift to pray. Now, that does not mean that if you're not signed up that you don't pray. Rather, we're encouraging everyone to pray, and that's why we got this in here for you. But we want some folks to be accountable so we can look and say, hey, I'm willing to do it. And I'm going to put my name down saying, this day, this time, I'm going to pray. And I believe that God will honor that, but we want everyone praying. But it's something that we can look back on, and when God does the great things that he's going to do in this church, that we can say, you remember that time of prayer. And I believe, if anything, it just might help our prayer lives. But I'm anticipating great things, and so we're going to keep running that for a while. But uh, let's be praying about praying. I believe we need to be earnest and sincere, and, and uh, I believe God will bless. But let's, uh, without further ado, let's pray this morning. Let's pray for our service. Let's pray for uh, our country. Pray for this upcoming time, this initiative of prayer. And uh, I pray on your way back, sign up somewhere. We've got several dates that have already been done. And just because you don't sign up doesn't mean you don't pray. But rather just saying, hey, I'm willing to be held accountable here. We want to pray. And, uh, but I thank you for it. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this morning. Grateful that we can gather, that we can worship you. And Lord, you've given us a new day of life. And, and Lord, what a gift it truly is. God, help us to not take it for granted, nor to come here today and to worship you uh, with, a, with a wrong heart or a wrong motive, but Lord, that today we'd worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray for your strength and for your, uh, your encouragement and your conviction even today as the word is preached. And Lord, as we're about to prepare our hearts now to sing, Lord, help us do so uh, with hearts that know you and want to know you and that want to praise you, Lord, that we wouldn't care what we sound like, that we wouldn't care what style of music it is, but we would care about worshiping you, Lord. You alone are worthy of worship and praise. So God, help us to praise you today in all that we say and all that we do. God, we give this service over to you now. We love you and we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. Please stand if you're able. Turn to hymn number nine if you choose to use the hymnal. We'll have it up here on our Jumbotron screen. <laughs> glorify thy name. Father, glorify thy name. John 12, 28, straight from Scripture.
Thank you, Lord. Worthy is the Lord that was slain to receive honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the Lamb. If you choose to sing out of the hymnal, as we sing, Are You Washed in the Blood? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, 14.
Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood and the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Now turn around, left, right, behind, up front, wave, say hello, make everyone feel welcome today. And I will get everybody right here. <laughs> All right, we have a special now by Miss Ann. I'll try to get all my stuff out of the
Pray with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day you've given us, a beautiful day, Lord, and we praise you for it. You give us many throughout the year, and we praise you for all those beautiful days. And we praise you, Lord, for the cloudy days and the rainy days. We need them all, and we thank you for your goodness. We just thank you and praise you, Lord, that we have the privilege to come into your house and sit with brothers and sisters in Christ, with family of God, and worship you and praise you in song here today. We ask, Lord, you'd help us continue to do that. We pray, Lord, that our praise in song would be a blessing to you and lift up and edify the name of Christ here today. We pray, Lord, that you would unite our hearts together in one mind and one accord. And, Lord, that we would be attentive to the preaching of thy word and give us ears to hear eyes to see and feet and fingers to do and at your commandment from thy word we ask Lord that you would just bless our pastor and fill him with your spirit and Lord give him clarity of speech and thought and liberty and boldness to preach Lord your word here today Lord uh, change our hearts, make us more like Christ, simply from the preaching of thy word and hearing of thy word. And we love you and thank you for everyone that's here. May, may each and every one be blessed to be in the house of the Lord. And we love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray and ask all things. Amen. Okay, if you're able, please stand as we sing hymn number 705. It is well with my soul. 
He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. Psalm 55, 18. It is well with my soul. Joe Bryant. Give him a nice hand. Make him feel well. This morning, if there's any kids, age four to six, for Children's Church, Children's Church can be dismissed, ages four to six. Got a few this morning. You can hit out this door here or that door or climb through the walls. I don't know. Uh, they'll get there. Since you all got uh, an extra hour of sleep last night, I get an extra hour to preach this morning. Amen. <laughs> Sounded very obligatory there, guys. I don't believe you there. <laughs> I'm just kidding, mostly. I'm only going to keep you for a solid hour and a half, two hours today, okay? At most, all right? I'm just lighting up. You'll be okay. You guys know me, all right? Nehemiah chapter number one this morning. Turn your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter number one. Nehemiah chapter number one this morning. As we're beginning a new month, and, and uh, I believe the Lord has impressed upon me this uh, new series to go along with our prayer initiative that is, that is happening. We say and speak much of prayer. And as a matter of fact, each week we have a Bible study and prayer meeting, don't we? But we have an awful lot of prayer requests and very little prayer. Uh, we wouldn't know what to do if we showed up to church and the preacher, instead of preaching long, prayed long. Oh, gosh, heaven help us. There's nothing worse for us good Baptists than a really long prayer, isn't it? Oh, man, we just, we go, oh, it's a little long today, don't you think, right? That's what we do. 
we know that we need prayer, but we don't oftentimes take the time to pray or we're not dedicated in prayer. And even times we get distracted in prayer, don't we? I found myself much this week even praying and, and asking, God, help me even now to pray because I'm being distracted now. I'm sure I'm not the only one that faces that. We all face these discouraging times and moments. But what we do know is that there is power in prayer. As we look here today at our churches, at our own hearts, at our own lives, and to make it unfortunately very painful and difficult today, as we look at our own church, there is rebuilding that needs to be done. There is much that over the past years has been broken. Broken from loss, loss of life, loss of, of individuals, discouraging times of, of bitterness or back and forth, and of course, the, the difficulty and the absolute pain and grief that transitioning brings. Of course, the shutdown that took place. And regardless of anyone's opinions on any of those matters, what we have found, not just here, but to be honest with you, in every other average Baptist Bible-believing church that there is, is that there needs to be some rebuilding. But we cannot take our hands and start rebuilding when we have not prayed and we have not planned. And I am praying that this time, this initiative that we're going to do to spend the next 52 days in prayer is going to get us to that place. Nothing is built besides having prayer behind it. Every revival as you study that has taken place, even the past several hundred years, has happened because people have gotten together and, and prayed. And I'm not talking about they've gotten together and they've said, well, pray for my, my big toe, I've got gout, right? That's it's a fine prayer request, right? We'll pray for it. But they've came and they've earnestly and sincerely prayed before God and expected and anticipated God to answer those things. How many times we listen to someone praying before us and we go, we're looking around, or, or we're going, oh, they messed up that word. And we're not even praying ourselves, which we should be, by the way. Or we talk and we know in our hearts that we should pray. Or we'd all say, and I would be the first to say, that my prayer life is not what it should be. The rest of you, I don't know. It might be better than mine. And I hope that it is. I hope it's just as good, if not better. And I want mine to be better. It should always be our goal to, to pray more and not to pray more so that we check Mark off a box that says, I prayed this many times a day or this many times or this many hours, this many minutes. But so that we would know God. As we talked about last week, that our goal of everything in our life, every ministry, everything that takes place in this church and in your own heart must be for God's glory, to know all of who He is. And that begins with prayer. The book of Nehemiah is one where God used one man named Nehemiah who was thrust in this place and position to help rebuild, where he was going to be burdened down with it. And all throughout the book, and I encourage you over the next 52 days, to read this book of Nehemiah, it's just a few short chapters, not that long. Read it a couple times. Read it once and then read it again and, and underline or circle where it says pray or where we find these prayers. And, and examine those prayers as we're going to examine one today and to watch the Lord bless you through seeing what God can do in a 52-day span. And I, I, what I'm saying here is God's not going to blow the door off this place in 52 days. What I am saying is we're going to take 52 days of prayer to pray that God would move in this place. If we were to do a show of hands today, there would not be one person who would 
say, you know, I don't actually want growth. I don't want revival. I don't want my heart to change. I don't want the church to change. I don't want growth. I don't want impact in our community. No one would be crazy enough to say those things. We'd all say, we want, we need. It's going to begin here. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 1. It's the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my fathers have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor thy judgments which thou commanded thy servant uh, Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the song sung. God, I thank you for the worship lifted today. Lord, the reminders of your goodness and your grace that should still be amazing. Lord, as we come to you now during this time, I pray that you would allow me to speak boldly and accurately according to your word. God, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to it. God, that we would be changed by it. Lord, that now, as Nehemiah prayed, that you would hear the prayer of your servant, hear the hearts of your people. God, that you would help us. Lord, we are in dire and desperate straits, though we may not see them as such. God, I pray that you would move amongst us today and help us through your word. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, I want to look at the problem here. There is a great problem taking place in verses 1 to 3. We have to look at Israel's history here. First of all, there's the divided kingdom. Division is already not good, right? Israel should be just be Israel, but now Israel's broken off to the northern tribes. We've got Israel and we've got Judah. And they've been divided and conquered, if you will, and being dispersed and in captivity for far too long. And God had even said in Nehemiah, uh, as he prays, says, you said if we transgress that you'll scatter us abroad. And that's literally what had happened. 
Sin always brings consequences. When there is this national sin of the people of Israel, they have sinned against God. They have not kept, as he said, the statutes or judgments or commandments that he had given in the law. And what God has done is brought about judgment to them. They're no longer in their homeland. They've been scattered abroad and they've been in captivity. They've been in bondage. And God's people were not meant to be in bondage. What brings us back to bondage is our sinfulness and our rebellion against God. That's what binds you. That's what uh, brings you down. All of this was a result of God's judgment against their rebellion. But in the midst of God's judgment, He gives them grace and promise that His anger will not be on them forever. He even says in verse 9, as Nehemiah prays, but you told us, Lord, if if we turn to you, that you will redeem us and you'll bring us back and that you will uh, bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. It's dealing with uh, the place of Jerusalem, which means a city of peace. It is a peaceful place because it was supposed to be the place where the presence of God and the people of God dwelt. It has been the capital of Israel from its foundation and for ever since God established it as such, and it still is today. And there is the great truth as well that this is pointing to the day that Jesus Christ, who we have sung about, who we have talked about, that we know and understand that He is God in the flesh. He has come. He has died on the cross for our sins. He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that one day He is coming again and He will set these things straight. He will set up His city, set up His kingdom, and it will be a place of peace. And He will rule and reign with a rod of iron. He will rule and reign because He alone deserves and holds that authority. And you and I, His people, will get to be a part of those great things. But right now, here in the ugly now and now, what we've got is a tremendous amount of hurt. We've got churches that have literally been broken down, if you will, shut down for a time, broken down because of loss. We've got hearts and homes that have been ravaged, much like we're about to see here. He says then, as we see this return to help us better understand this, is that in the return to captivity, they come not all at one time, but they come in waves. The first group is led many years before this by uh, Zerubbabel. And they returned and they rebuilt the temple. You can see the book of Ezra, just a book over, for the details of that. And we see that they rebuilt the temple. And what takes place there is that they also try to rebuild the walls, but they're thwarted in that by the enemy. They try to do more than just rebuild the temple. And even as we'll see later on, that they, they are going to rebuild the temple. And as they lay down the foundation stone, those who are younger, they, they are just hooping and hollering, having a great time, praising God for this. Wow, this is great. But the older folks wept over it because it wasn't the same as before. Because it would not hold the same beauty as the one before. We're going to deal with that a little while later. Second group comes then along, led by Ezra, and helps to bring about spiritual reform to the often rebellious people. And before anything can be rebuilt before any walls or anything else for that matter. There has to be spiritual reform. There has to be a reassessment of who we are and where we are and what the reality is of things. The reality today of most churches and most of our own hearts is that the walls, as we're going to see, are are broken down. Things aren't good. You can have things going on without having anything going on. We can have the lights on, the bills paid, missionaries set, and still be lacking in our own hearts because we aren't right with God. We can also be mistaken that we think things are going good because a building's full or because all those other things are going on and still not see the real spiritual point that we are lacking. The truth and the knowledge of knowing God. 
Furthermore, this third group then would come, as we're going to see throughout the book of Nehemiah, it's going to be led by him, which will prayerfully bring rebuilding and reform and revival to the people in the face of much opposition. Where God is people are going to say to rise up and let's build, the enemy comes and he says, I'm going to come and try to tear down. And he doesn't come to tear down the walls that are there, but he comes rather to divide and to destroy and to discourage the people themselves. If he can get you to stop the work, if he can get you to stop the praying, then he can make sure that everything else comes to a screeching halt. In the Nehemiah situation here, he is exiled, but he's blessed. Nehemiah's name itself means Yahweh has blessed. What a great name that is. God has blessed. You don't get much better of a name than that. It says that he's the son of my, perhaps my favorite Old Testament name of all time. The son of Hakaliah. <laughs> Hakaliah. Isn't that good? Next time someone's having a boy, I want you to recommend the name Hakaliah to him. All right? It just comes right off the tongue. Hakaliah. But Hakaliah's got quite the name too. His name means wait for Yahweh. Literally in the name of his dad and in his own name that has been given to them, that we see God's promise that's going to be fulfilled. How fitting it is that they are going to see rebuilding by waiting and being blessed of the Lord. Right now, I would say that most of our churches are either plateaued or in decline. And what needs to happen is we've got to take some time. Instead of trying to go in and let's just grab a hammer and see what we can do, we've got to stop. We've got to pause. We've got to wait on the Lord and pray. And what would happen throughout those 52 days of rebuilding that wall? And it only took them 52 days, mind you. They would work all together, but as opposition after opposition would come, they would pray, and they would pray, and they would pray. They would pray as they worked. They would pray as they defended. They would pray, and they would pray and pray. We get the picture. We get the idea here, the importance of it, because those walls don't get built without this prayer. And these walls don't get built without this prayer of Nehemiah that we're about to see. Commitment to it. See, he's far from the city of Jerusalem. He's far from his brothers and sisters. He's far from the land that is supposed to be the promised land where they're to dwell and where they're to worship God and to know God and to follow His commands. He's literally living in what is known as Persia. He's living in Shushan, the palace. It is literally the citadel where King Artaxerxes lives. And we're going to see here in a little while that he's the king's cupbearer. He's got this high position and he's serving this role and God has blessed him in it. He's the king's cupbearer, which is a very high and a trusted position. Literally what they would do is they would taste and test the wine, make sure that every food that comes into the king or to the king that would be presented to him, that it's safe. And on top of that, as we'll see in a little while, that he's to be happy and chipper. Because if you're about to serve the king and you're looking pretty down or sad or won't make eye contact, he's thinking, might be something in that. I probably don't want to eat that, right? Or don't want to drink that because it could have poison, right? Furthermore, he's also in the presence of the king all the time. So there's this trust and rapport that has been built up. But yet all the while that we're about to see, he's about to get some terrible news. And the news that he gets is there's some that come back, some Jews that escape, and they come and then tell them about the captivity. And here's what they say. They say the remnant that are left there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. They're great affliction because the walls are down. They're terrorized by the enemy. 
They can't be stable. Their society has crumbled literally like the walls. They don't have any order anymore. They've even lost some of the reforms spiritually that took place earlier in the past two waves of Zerubbabel and Ezra coming to town to help things out. They've lost the sense of urgency. They're just barely hanging on, really. Furthermore, they are reproach. It's the idea that they are not just made reproach, but they themselves are a reproach to God. To be a people in decline means that we become a reproach to God's glory. God doesn't get glory out of a church or out of a people or out of His people that are in plateaued or decline. He doesn't get it out of you and I not praying earnestly and believing. He does not get glory and honor out of us coming to church and mouthing the words along so no one hears us. He doesn't get glory and honor out of us going through the motions or just barely hanging on because your Christian life was not meant for you to just barely hang on. You're meant to have assurance. You're meant to have an empowered life of abundance, not of the things of this world, but of the Spirit that indwells us and and propels us through this life. The reason why they've become a reproach is because the walls are down, they can't rebuild the temple to its former glory. The temple's rebuilt. They're able to, you know, go through the motions of worship and things. However, it's not what it used to be. And because of that, because of those things, it's not what it used to be. It's not as beautiful as it used to be. They can't do all that they are called to do and should do. And as well, they don't have the protection to do it. They're stuck living in the past with a relic of a building that just isn't the same as it used to be. I'm afraid that the phrase, which just isn't the same as it used to be, is said more times than an amen or a hallelujah in the church house. We get often and so awfully upset as well when things aren't like they used to be. Yet they still had the temple, and this group that was there very much could have rebuilt, but they had started the process, and the enemy comes, and they just say, well, there's no point now. We'll just settle for what we got. I am absolutely tired of settling in my Christian walk. I don't know about you, but I am. I'm absolutely tired of settling for our churches living in decline and just saying, well, it's the society's fault. Baloney. Society's always going to be wicked because it's always been wicked. But God's people are not to stop fighting the good fight of faith or to stop going with the gospel. It is us who have changed for the worst. Society's always been the worst. But it's us who have changed. It's our hearts that need reform. It's our hearts that need change. It's our own hearts that need rebuilding long before we rebuild back programs or buildings. We need our hearts to be changed. The people are literally living in survival mode. And I want you to know this. The church of God is not meant to live in survival mode. You can be a boxer and hold your fist like this up against the rope and go all the rounds and still not win if you don't throw a punch. And I believe that many churches are about to close in the next five to ten years. And it will be blamed of COVID or society for those those things. And it's not COVID and it's not society that's going to shut churches down. It's going to be because we've stopped being the church that we're called to be. We didn't pray and ask God and beg of God and have a burden for our neighborhoods like we used to. Or, Or our town like we used to. When's the last time we prayed for our town? See, the, the reason why we don't is because we want our inward crowd and we do church for those that are on the inside. 
And we don't do it to win souls and to be a place of refuge from this weary world. What has happened is that they settled there in Jerusalem for surviving, but surviving is not thriving. Surviving does not bring glory to God. Surviving brings reproach. We're called to take back ground. We're called to rebuild. We're called to preach the Word of God and be changed by it. He says, the walls are broken down and they're burned with fire. To you and I, when we read that verse, we don't have the same response as Nehemiah because we don't understand what that looks like. Hillsville doesn't have a big old wall around it keeping out outsiders and, and whatnot. But if you imagine your life that literally the town's safety, your husband, your wife, your kids' safety, your mom, your dad's safety was based upon these walls being around the town, then to see that the town is under duress and reproach because the walls are down and they're burned with fire, this means that the physical enemy can come in, but this has a deeper spiritual meaning. That they had left the reforms and the revivals that they had just experienced and had, and they had settled to just get by with the same old status quo. God doesn't call us a status quo. He calls us to follow Him, and, he follows, and we follow Him into a world of unknown, but we follow Him knowing that He's going to lead us and He's going to walk with us. He doesn't call us to churchianity. He doesn't call us to just get by or let's just get through and hold on until Jesus comes back. I believe Jesus is coming back. However, that does not give me the excuse to not be about our Father's business. It does not give me the, the ability or the excuse to sit back and go, well, I'll just hold on till it's all over. Unfortunately, if we were to describe the state of our churches and our own hearts today, it would probably sound an awful lot like verse 3. Great affliction, become a reproach. Walls are broken down and burned with fire. And Nehemiah's response is truly everything. I want to ask you right now, before we go any further, to assess your heart. To reassess our church and how we do church. To reassess our community. Once you know everyone that you see in the food line aisle is not born again because they come from a small town that happens to know Jesus. They need to be born again. And those of us who are born again need to live like it. We need to return to this place. And now as we come to verse 4, we're going to see the main point of everything today, and that is the prayer of Nehemiah. As we're about to embark on this initiative of praying, and whether you sign up or not, Please pray. I can certainly walk these aisles and pray, and God can bless, sure. But imagine if looking around that everyone else prayed as well and was sincere in that prayer and didn't just pray, you know, God, help my church, help my missionaries, amen, right? But had the response of actual prayer, of praying for these things, praying for families, praying for families that you know need the Lord, praying for your own heart to change, praying for God to do these things and expecting and expecting God to move and to answer these prayers. We often throw up these prayers because we know we're supposed to without ever thinking that God would ever answer them. We say, oh, anything is possible with God except answering my prayer. We might not say those words, but our prayer life certainly shows those. Verse number four, it says, and when it came to pass, when I heard these words, this is Nehemiah, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I want to introduce you guys to a good friend here, all right? 
His name is Bob. Right? Bob. Burden, opportunity, and boldness. Bob the Builder. Can he fix it? Bob the Builder. Yes, he can. For some of you guys, you might get it if you got kids, grandkids, or my age that watched Bob the Builder, the cartoon. It was a construction worker named Bob the Builder. And the saying was, can he fix it? And he always could. Bob always ran into some problems, some issues, though when we come here to prayer, we've got to have this Bob mentality. When it comes to rebuilding churches, when it comes to seeing revival, we've got to have, and it starts with this very first thing that Nehemiah shows, and it's a burden. I believe the reason why we don't pray more is because there is no burden to pray. I believe the reason why we don't see a revival in our own church is because we don't have a real burden for real revival. We want, you know, the people who are our friends and our family who look like us, act like us, talk like us, and think like us to be in this building and to do what we do. But we don't have a burden for the drunk to get saved or for the struggling porn addict to, to be delivered. We are looking at those folks and go, oh boy, it's just, they're untouchable almost. Jesus ate and drank with the sinners. He was there in their midst. Had a burden for them because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to set the captive free. He came to save the sinner, not to save the righteous because there are no righteous. And so for some reason, we've been in church so long that we've begun to think that we are the righteous because of what we do on the outside and how we do church. And that's far from the truth. Nehemiah's burden here. If we're to rebuild and reclaim what belongs to God, we must first be burdened for it. In this beginning in verse number four, we can't quite fathom it because we don't have that same response when we talk about prayer requests and prayer meeting. But we go, oh, how many more prayer requests is she going to ask for? How many times are we going to pray for so-and-so? They're not going to get better. None of us ever say those things out loud, but boy, do we think them, don't we? You see, then we go, oh, good, prayer requests over. Now I can pray and get through the Bible study, and then I can get home to watch Jeopardy or whatever it is. We just want to get through. We just want prayer to be done. The heart of the believer should go, oh, i got to stop praying so I can go do something else. i got to get to work or whatever it is. Man, i got to bring this prayer to a close. Oh, I've enjoyed it so much. We should enjoy prayer. We should be burdened for prayer. Nehemiah's burden here comes because there's a physical and a spiritual reality of the inept and anemic faith of the people of God. And it's really pressing down on him. He's burdened by it. I believe that most of us aren't burdened like we talk about used to be. We used to see revivals. We used to see changes. We used to see communities come together. We used to see salvations. We used to see conversions. We used to see people called to ministry. We used to see, used to, used to. Because they used to have a burden. The people of God used to have a burden to pray. The people of God used to have a burden for the lost. The people of God used to have a burden for all those around them to be saved. The people of God used to realize and have a burden that there were those who would literally die and go to hell. Used to have a burden. His burden is shown in the fact that he, he weeps. He doesn't get one little crocodile tear out just to 
look good, but he weeps. There's a difference between crying, shedding a tear, and weeping. He weeps. He weeps over this condition, and he, he mourns. We know nothing of those things anymore. He fasts and he prays before the God of heaven. I want to ask you today, and you probably already know the answer, where has your burden and my burden gone for lost souls? Where has your burden and my burden gone for a church that prays together for each other, with each other? Where has our burden gone to see God do great things of revival and rebuilding churches and homes and hearts and lives? Where has the burden gone for holiness, personal holiness and personal piety and purity? Where has the burden gone? Believe that we need to beg of God to give us that burden again. It's a heavy burden. That's why it's called a burden. We need that burden to stir a, a fire and a light of fire underneath us to, to pray and beg of God to do great things. We need that burden first to see the real reality. All that seems fine and well isn't fine and well. May God give us a burden to build and bring back glory to His name. As he continues, he finds the opportunity here in this prayer. I want to read for you this prayer and the way in which he goes about it. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the, the great and terrible God who keep the covenant and mercy. He knows who he's praying to, and he's got the opportunity here to either, one, stay in a state of weeping and mourning of the situation, the sin of the people, while not looking to the promises and potential of God. That's option one. That's where most of our churches have stayed. We've wept and mourned that things don't look the same way they used to, but we haven't wept and mourned that we're sinful and need revival. We've wept and mourned that things, you know, aren't just what they used to be like, or so-and-so's gone, or this isn't happening anymore, and we don't weep and mourn the fact that we've got souls in churches who just don't care anymore. You know what's going to kill churches more than anything that this society's got? It's not going to be diseases. It's not going to be government shutdowns. It's going to be the weak and apathetic faith of God's people that just don't care anymore. You could start a church and call it Church of Apathy, but nobody would care to go. That's the way in which we live our spiritual lives. We say we care, but our hearts don't the opportunity then comes where he could either stay in that condition or he could then turn and pray and plan to be used of God. And I believe that most people out here today, even in this building today, don't think that they can be used of God. I want you to know, you can. If you've got breath in your lungs and your heart is beating and you're alive today, you can be used of God. We've got to pray. We've got to plan. Pray and plan to Act as if God would use you to be the one to bring revival, because He just might. Many revivals that have taken place haven't been because the preacher got on fire for God. It's been because someone in the church got burdened for praying. Someone in the church got burdened for souls. Someone in the church got burdened for, for a, a rebuild and for God to do things in, the, in their life. We find boldness. He doesn't just talk about praying. He is about praying, and He prays this prayer. Nehemiah's prayer does a few things. It recognizes God. 
his character and his work, the God of heaven, the great and terrible God, the God who keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. That's who God is. That same God is the same God of you and I who has given us his promise that if we turn to him and we pray and we seek him, that I believe that he will do a work, maybe not in our nation to turn it back red like we might want, because by the way, that's not real revival anyways. Real revival and a real return to God begins with your individual heart and mind. That's what we need. Revival comes from a heart that recognizes God for being God and God alone. Second, it repents of sin. Look at this, what he says. He says, I confess the sins of the children of Israel. And then notice the way he changes. He says, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Many a good independent Baptist have prayed, God forgive them. God forgive them because boy, they are so rotten. They're so bad. They don't even know how bad they are. And we never include the us in it or the we have sinned. We go, God forgive or help them because they've sinned. They're against you. They're not living right. The heart that's quick to say that is the same one that is not living right as well. It's the same heart that needs to have the heart of Nehemiah that says, now by the way, Nehemiah, he's in captivity. He's not there. He hasn't messed things up even further. He's over there being a good cupbearer in a high position. If anybody's doing right, it's Nehemiah. But Nehemiah says, it's us, your people, God, we've sinned. We need you. I need you. We need that recognition. We need to recognize that it is us personally and publicly, privately, to repent of our sinfulness. But then he recalls the promises of God. He says, if you turn to me, he's going, this is what you've said, God. The reason why we need to rebuild our churches and the only place and only thing that we can build it on is for his name's sake and for his glory's sake. If it's for our glory's sake, just go ahead and scrap it. If it's for our church's name's sake, go ahead and scrap it. But it's for the name and the glory of God Almighty. That's what it's for. And that's what God gets glory in. That's what God will use. <clears throat> Furthermore in this, we see how he prays. And we come into chapter 2. And, and basically, here's what happens. He, he comes and he was never sad before the presence of the king ever. And this is some three months later down the road. Excuse me, four months later down the road. We get to the planning part of this whole project. You know what Nehemiah's plan was? He doesn't tell us. We see, though, that all throughout it, he prays. And he prayed for four months. And what do you think he prayed? It says that in this, in verse number six, which I pray before thee now day and night. He was burdened to pray. And he didn't pray this one prayer one time. But for four months, day and night, praying and begging and asking of God to move in their midst. And even coming to verse 11 where he says, God, use me, your servant. Let me be the one, God. Prosper me. Prosper me. Keep your hand upon me, God. The plan to rebuild is prayer. It has been said, if your vision is so big that only God can do it, then you must pray. But if your goal or vision is small enough that you can achieve it, then you need to dream and pray bigger. I believe that we have come to a place in our Christian walk in American Christianity where we don't pray big prayers. We don't dream big dreams or have big visions of God's glory in His churches. 
We just want to keep on skating through. It would be my prayer that by God's grace, this place would be full. We'd have to go and replant churches and help revitalize other churches in this community and that we'd, we, we would have the problems of going, no, we've got too many people. Well, we've got too many souls being saved. We can't keep the baptistry filled with water. Wouldn't those be great problems to have? Long before we get to those problems, we've got to have the burden, we've got to have prayer. We've got to have the dream and the vision that God can. Is there anything too hard for God? No. Prayer, though, is painful. Nehemiah mournfully prayed for four months in agony. The whole time, those four months, he hasn't been able to move, he hasn't been able to go, he hasn't been able to change his life, he hasn't been able to go and help them, and the walls are still down and burned with fire, and the people are still a reproach. But it took time. And this painful prayer leading to a persistent prayer that for those four months, in his agony, that he prays and he prays and he prays. And he plans as God leads him and gives him vision. And all the while, he knows that if it's going to get done, it's got to get done God's way. And unless God builds it, it won't get done. Unless God prospers him, it won't get done. Unless God blesses his people, unless they seek his face, it won't happen. There is also a pointed prayer. As we come to chapter, uh, verse number two, excuse me, chapter two, verse four. He had never been sad. And the king notices and says, uh, hey, what's, uh, what's the deal here, Nehemiah? You've never been sad before me before. What's going on? This must be sorrow of the heart. And it says that Nehemiah was sore afraid. He's very afraid. He believes why? Because he could face death for being uh, sad in front of the king. He says unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city... The place of my father's sepulchers lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Nehemiah's got every reason to mourn. He's got every reason to be sad. And finally, after four months, he can't keep smiling before the king anymore. And the king said unto me, this is where God answers prayer, for what dost thou make request? God is about to prosper the hand and the prayers of Nehemiah. And notice this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah is persistently and pointedly praying the needs and the vision for this great undertaking. And the reason why he can shoot up a prayer which we're not told what it is, it just says he's prayed to the God of heaven. It could have been as simple as a God help. God honors it. Just a little while later, in 52 days, the walls rebuilt, revival has taken place. God is in the midst of his people and his people Know Him. We often have prayers that are just the short ones. We're afraid of the 15 minutes of prayer, let alone a sweet hour. It's not about how long we pray in one time. It's that we pray, consistently seeking the face and the hand of God in our lives. I believe what we need in this church, in my own heart, is to pray. To not talk about praying. To not talk about why we should pray. But to pray. To earnestly and consistently seek God. If you want growth, if you want rebuilding, if you want revival, if you want your own heart to change, which we should, God give you the burden and me the burden right now. Long before we get to an altar call, 
long before we get to day 48 of our prayer initiative, long before we get to December 31st, may continue through the new year and as we move forward and we watch God answer prayer as God has in the past, as He does today. We're each a, a walking answer of prayer right now and as we watch God answer these prayers in the future. Today, this altar is simple. If you need to pray, desire to pray, or want to pray for your people, for God's people, for this church, come and pray. And I ask of your heart, are you going to be committed? Will you commit? Will you be burdened and are you burdened for God to do great things? Not just for our church, but for God's church. For revivals to take place, even if that means not in this building, but in the building down the road that preaches the gospel. Praise God for it. I just want to see God move. I want to see God save souls. I want to see walls rebuilt and glory reclaimed for the church of God once more. Will you pray with me? hope so. May we seek the face of God. Let's all stand this morning. As the piano plays, this altar's open. If first you need to be saved and you need to trust Christ to experience this great truth, to, to experience who He is, come and I can take the Bible and show you. But today, if you just want to pray for your church, pray for your pastor. Pray for one another. This altar's open. Would you come today?
Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you we can study and see your word and see how you've moved through the mighty prayers of weak, frail individuals who simply trusted you. God, help us to trust in your grace and your mercy and help us to praise you and thank you for it and to watch you work in our hearts and our homes and your church. God, we love you. We thank you for this time once more. In Christ's name, amen. Eighty-six, Jesus, name above all names. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let thy name be magnified forever. Second Samuel, seven twenty-six. Jesus, name above all names. Beautiful Savior, glorious Lord. Blessed Redeemer, living word. And again, Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord. missed.